You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killy. Good morning. You may be seated. Uh, my name is Zach, and I'm a pastor here at New Hope. And uh, we have got a lot to talk about today. And in full transparency, I kind of gave this sermon last year, but just kind of. Uh, we're going to expand on it a bit. And the reason I want to talk about it a little more is, one, because this is a topic that never gets discussed in Christianity, and it's one of the central themes of the Bible, so that bothers me. But two is, I don't know a better way of explaining why Jesus is the conquering lion, why he is the conquering king, than this storyline. Also, we're going to be talking a little bit about the powers and principalities of darkness. And if you notice, they have attacked us on our screen. So I'm sorry about that. But uh, we're going to keep going because that's what we do. Um, From the top, uh, I just want to say, if, if you've got questions about this, please talk to me. I'm going to be more concerned if you don't have questions about this because there's some wonky stuff going on here. But that's why we're going to read a lot of scripture today because I want to show you that it is in the Bible. Um, To understand what we're talking about, we got to start from the top. We got to talk about the fall. Now, when we talk about the fall, what do we generally mean? We generally mean the fall of Adam and Eve, the fall of humanity, the fall of man, right? And what we see is that Adam and Eve, they weren't supposed to eat a certain fruit from a certain tree, and they did. And in that disobedience, they destroyed the relationship with God, and they invited sin and death into the world, right? And we see that. We see that. We've talked about that every week for the last few weeks. But that's not the only fall. That's not the only fall that the Jews believed in, at least. In fact, the Jews believed in three falls. Bet you haven't heard that. Maybe you have. I don't know. But They believed that the first fall was the fall of man, that that was when Adam and Eve sinned. But there was a second fall, and it happens in Genesis 6, 1 through 4. It says, then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. In those days, and for some time after, giant Nephilites, or Nephilim, lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. At this point, you should be going, what are we talking about? (laughs) Have you ever wondered where all those stories like Hercules come from? You got these angels, these spiritual sons of God, these gods, if you will. That's what many cultures call them. In fact, that's what the Bible calls them more often than not. Gods. And they sleep with the daughters of man and they have kids. And these kids are giants and they're the heroes of old and the men of renown. They're demigods. They're half divine, half human, half angel, half human, however you want to look at it. But this is, this is Hercules. This is the myths that we've heard all our lives, right? 
So that's, that's man fell in the beginning, and now some of the sons of God have fallen because they weren't supposed to do this, and they did. And immediately God turns around and he's like, okay, sons of God, my human sons, bad. My spiritual sons, bad. Let's flood the earth immediately. Next passage. The earth has become corrupt. Let's flood it, right? But we got to move on to the third fall. What's the third fall? Well, we've had the fall of man. We've had the fall of the spiritual sons of God. The third fall is Babel. You guys familiar with the story of Babel? Here's what happens. The world speaks one language. There's one tongue, one language. And God has given them the job of populating the earth, spreading throughout the earth, and spreading his influence throughout the earth. But what do they do at Babel? They say, no, we don't want to be scattered. We're going to centralize. And so they build one city. And they say, we're going to make a great city. And we're going to build a great tower, and we're going to build a great name for ourselves. And God looks at that and goes, no. So he comes down and he destroys their tower, and he destroys their city, and then he takes all these people, and he says, I'm going to confuse your language. And so he makes it so they speak many languages now. They don't just speak one language. And he scatters them, and he scatters them all across the earth, and this makes up the nations now, right? But how did he go about that, and why did he do that? I think we got to move on to Deuteronomy 32.8 to see what really happens here. When the Most High assigned lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, he established the boundaries of the peoples according to the number in his heavenly court. Now that says in his heavenly court. The problem is we never translate this right at all. Go look at it in Hebrew. It doesn't say according to the number of his heavenly court. It says according to the number of bin Elohim. According to the number of the sons of God. What? That's weird. What does that mean? Here's what that means. At Babel, they didn't want God. The people wanted to be gods themselves. They didn't want to listen to God. And so they built a great city and a great tower and a great name for themselves. And God said, no, I'm not having that. And so he took their language and he confused it and he scattered them and he built nations. But he said, you're not going to govern yourselves. And so he gave them the sons of God as their governance. He gave them the gods. Weird. Weird. You realize what this is? This is the beginning of all the gods of all the nations. Have you ever looked at the Greeks to the Romans to the Egyptians to the Mesopotamians to the Sumerians and gone, why are they all the same characters? Like, why? If I look at Zeus to Baal to Jupiter to Ra to Marduk, if I look at all these characters, it's the same character over and over. They're the same attributes. They're the same kind of position. He's always the little leader god, and he's, he's the god of lightning or the god of the sky. Why? Why is it always a one for one? Because the Bible's saying, because they're based on real characters. Very real people. People without bodies, but very real people. The spiritual sons of God. You may be going, well, this is weird. This is weird. I don't know about this. And, and also, like, why would God do that? Why would God 
give over the nations to these gods? Why would he do that? Well, I think there's a simple answer, first of all. I think the first answer is, see, God takes his fallen humanity because man has fallen, right? They don't want him. And he says, I'm going to put you over here. And then I'm going to take my my fallen sons, my spiritual sons, and I'm going to put them in charge of you. And you kids just play nice. Now, how do we know they're fallen, though? How do we know that these, these gods are bad? Psalm 82 says this. So God presides over heaven's court. He, he pronounces judgment on the heavenly beings. Now, here's the deal. Once again, it's not what it is in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it's God presides in the assembly of the gods. And he pronounces judgment on the gods. In fact, it says that in NIV. I accidentally put NLT, sorry. <laughs> but he goes on and he says, how long will you hand down unjust decisions? By favoring the wicked. He says, just give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. But these oppressors, these gods, know nothing. They are so ignorant. They wander about in darkness while the whole world is shaken to the core. I say, you are gods. You are all children of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals and fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. Weird. Weird. Why would God give them over? Why would God give the nations to these fallen beings? Because if his people, if his humans don't want him, and these fallen sons don't want to obey him, well, I'm just going to put you all in one category together. And then God walks over here and goes, hey, Abraham, I'd like to introduce myself. My name's God. And I'm going to be your God. And you're going to be my people. And what does he say to Abraham? You are going to be the father of many nations, all nations. Why would he say that? He just gave them away. Literally, one passage earlier in Genesis gives all the nations to the powers of darkness and then turns around and goes, hey, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Because that's the plan. He knew the whole time this is what's going to have to happen. And what's going to happen is Abraham, this guy that can't even have a kid, God chooses the most unlikely guy ever to have his legacy shown through. And he says, you're going to have sons. And then that son's going to have a son, and that son's going to have a son. And one day, one of those sons isn't just going to be a man. He's going to be me. And that's where Jesus enters the story. So Jesus comes into the world as a little baby. Just this tiny, little human baby. So unsuspecting. Why would, why would the fallen sons of God, why would Satan ever expect this, right? But at some point, they start to catch on. Because Jesus, once he starts his ministry, he's led out into the wilderness. And the devil, Satan, the adversary, he meets him out there. And he tries to tempt him. And I can't help but think, right, it's like kind of like Randy said last week, that they're all just sitting around conspiring, the Satan, the fallen sons of God, and they're saying, we're going to make him fall just like every other man that's ever lived. They're like 55 billion and zero. They've won every fight they've ever come to, and they're saying, we're going to make him sin. If he's a man, he'll sin. 
and they can't break him. He won't sin. He won't give in. He just stays good and true and pure. And so one day they said, well, if we can't make him join us and if we can't make him fall, then we'll kill him. And that's exactly what they do. They brutally murder him at the hands of his own people that he came to save through the Roman authorities. And three days later, he rises from the grave. It was the plan all along. See, God knew that Jesus had to come and die because that's how he was going to conquer death. And that's how he was going to conquer sin because he had to be a man that could overcome sin and overcome death and show that, no, 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 your death and your sin aren't going to have any hold on my people anymore. And so that's what happens through Christ. And we know that story. And we talk about that story all the time. But there's a little bigger piece that we miss. Or at least I think we often miss the connection. You see, 40 days after Jesus resurrects from the dead, he's wandering around, talking to his pals, filling them in on what they need to be doing. But then he ascends to the Father to go be seated on his throne as the most high God, right? And before he goes, he looks at his people and he says, listen, guys, here's what I need you to do. You're going to go and you're going to make disciples. You're going to make students of every nation. You're going to go teach them to obey me. You're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be with you. And I want you to know that I'm sending someone after I go. And he's going to come and he's going to rest on you. And you're going to do greater things than even I did. And he ascends. And for 10 days, the disciples are all sitting around twiddling their thumbs going, what is going on? Well, he, he's gone. He left us. Like he raised from the dead and he said he's going to send somebody, but who's he going to send? What's going to happen? And then this happens. Acts 2, 1 through 12. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And, uh, sorry, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed, and then they asked each other, what can this mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means that Babel is done. 
It means that Jesus is looking at the powers of darkness, at the fallen sons of God, at the Satan, at the so-called gods. And he says, you've been in charge for this long. I gave you your authority. I gave you the nations. I said, here, you can govern them. And some power was given to you. And I confused their language and I scattered them. But today, these people are no longer confused, and they no longer speak different languages. They all speak their languages, but they hear in one language. And these people stand from many nations, but today they stand under me in Christ, united as one, as one nation, no longer under the powers of darkness, but under the power of the one true God and King, Jesus Christ. Pentecost is the day Jesus drew a line in the sand and said, you're done. And we do not see that nearly often enough. Now, here's the deal. That is the story up until 2,000 years ago. And then we kind of click pause on that and go, okay, but what's God doing? What's he doing now? Well, should be, what are we doing? (laughs) What are we supposed to be doing now? Because one day, here's what's going to happen. God comes back. Jesus comes back. And the first time Jesus came, he came in a little manger as a little baby. He was born into this world. And it must have been quiet. And it's this peaceful, tranquil, starry night, you know, that we think about when we think about Christmas. And you got all the all the peaceful little animals like the donkey and the sheep. And, and it's just nice and calm and cozy. And he's in a manger. It's not going to be like that the second time. See, the second time he comes back, you're going to hear the blaring of loud trumpets because they're announcing the coming of the true king. And the clouds are going to part. And it's not going to be donkeys and sheep. It's going to be chariots of fire and the steeds of heaven. And you're going to see warriors pouring out of the clouds because God's army is coming to reclaim what's his. And at the front of that army, Seated on a white horse in his kingly apparel is our God, Jesus Christ. And he's coming back to take what's his. And he's going to destroy once and for all the powers of sin and death and darkness. And all the fallen sons of God will be trampled under his feet. And all the nations will be made his footstool. And he's going to take that old broken heaven. You know, the one where the, where the, the sons of God had sinned. And he's going to take that old broken earth, the one where the physical sons of God had sinned, and he's going to destroy them. And he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And everything is going to be good. Everything is going to be perfect. And here's what Revelation says. In Revelation 21, 1 through 8, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And then, The one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and it is true. 
And then he said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. God's coming back. And he's not messing around when he does it. God is saying one thing. Jesus is saying one thing here. He's saying, whose side are you on? You can either be behind him, you can stand behind him, and you can confess faith in Jesus Christ, and you can obey his commandments, and you can go and make disciples of the nations, and you can serve him, you can love him, you can put your faith in him, and you will be his royal child, and you will rule with him, you will reign with him. Or you can serve yourself and you can be duped by the powers of darkness and you will pass away with them. You're either behind him or you lay before him slain. There is no other choice. And so that's what I want you to think about today. This isn't your typical Christmas message. But it's true. That baby in that manger grows up and he becomes this. Our conquering king, Jesus. You can't just have one piece of Jesus. You get the whole Jesus. Which side are you on? Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.